And the more that people are open and honest with it not becoming problematic in their life and just saying, I don't like the way it makes me feel, should be absolutely enough. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. Today, we're going to be talking to Michelle Smith of Recovery is the New Black. She is an educator, author, and TEDx speaker. Michelle is a sober mom, and today we'll dive into her story and the message she has for the world. We are going to be talking about alcohol consumption during this episode. Abby and I are both able to moderately consume alcohol, so this is not a judgment episode, and that is our truth, but we realize that that's not the case for everyone, and that the normalization of alcohol consumption to deal with life's stressors is problematic for some people. Just like Abby and I are doing, we'd love if you approach this topic with an open mind, and I know that we're all going to learn something from Michelle. So Michelle, without further ado, could you introduce yourself to our audience? Hi, yes, I am Michelle Smith. I am the founder and creator of Recovery is the New Black, which is a digital format and community for women who are living or exploring an alcohol-free life. And I have been sober for a little over five years. And I've spent the last 20 years working in the field of mental health and substance abuse treatment, all the way from doing danger to safety and hotline work for women and fleeing domestic violence, all the way to working with um, men in maximum security prison. So I have kind of turned in my release paperwork to the Department of Corrections and decided to really invest my time and my heart and my energy on something that is really personal and I'm very passionate about, which is um, what I believe is the underserved population of vulnerable women, especially going through motherhood that are marketed alcohol as a solution to their pain points and their problems. And I have been doing that for the last four years and nothing lights me up more than connecting with women all over the world and living our best lives together because motherhood is really, really hard. And I believe it's not meant to do alone. Yeah. And before we hit record, we were speaking with you, Michelle, about how this is a really important topic, but it can also be a deep and sometimes dark topic. And as we gathered questions for you from our community, we got a wide variety of responses and just things that people wanted to know. And many people were really excited for us to dive into this topic. While there were a few people who said, you know, Abby, Amy, why is it mommy wine culture? Why don't dads have this issue too? Or something like, it's just another way to make moms feel bad about themselves. So Michelle, why do you think that people, and just talking about sobriety, stirs up this type of reaction in people? I think that our society is very one-sided. I think there's a lot of taboo and a lot of stigma in regards to what alcohol use disorder is. For example, It's very black and white. It's very concrete in the way that it's viewed by society. It's you are considered a normie, quote unquote, all the way to an alcoholic who is dependent on alcohol. And we have this idea of it's this person that lives under the bridge that's homeless with a brown paper bag. And as we know, the more information and statistics that are that are showing up, especially because of the pandemic, is that there is so many people in between that spectrum, which I, I consider 50 shades of gray, all the way from I can do this normally to all of a sudden my life is becoming problematic because alcohol is playing a higher role in my life than it had or than I would like to all the way to now recognizing and making changes. You don't become dependent on alcohol overnight. It is a very progressive condition that takes time and that is fed by things like glamorization, um, peer pressure, bullying, boredom, friendships. There's so much that goes into it 
that we really need to crack down on. This isn't all or nothing. And people decide to take a look at their relationship with alcohol at any time they want to. And so that is the biggest thing that I see is that basically we have to really look at unlearning what we believe is normal um, and really just go from there. Yeah. And to be clear, obviously men have this issue too. Men cope with alcohol in ways that aren't healthy. For Abby and I and for Michelle, we're serving women right here today. So the way that we are marketed to is this use wine to cope. And that's kind of what we'll be exploring. So one really interesting response that we kept getting is how shamed people get if they do not partake in consuming wine or alcohol for whatever reason. It's so the cultural norm that if you're not partaking, you're immediately questioned. Are you pregnant? Are you joking? Come on, I rarely see you anymore. What does one hurt? So I was wondering from your experience as being a sober person, what advice would you give people that are practicing saying no? And is this something that you still experience? Yes, it is something I still experience from time to time. And, you know, I think that the best thing is, is a form the, the best way I learned how to take care of myself was by saying no. That was a boundary that I had to learn as an overachiever, as a perfectionist, as a people pleaser, is that no is a complete sentence and that's all it should take. And so I literally sat in front of my mirror and worked on refusal skills. No, thank you. I have water. No, thank you. I have my drink. No, thank you. I'm driving. I'm the DD. I don't think people realize how much pressure and shame somebody who knows that they struggle with alcohol use puts on themselves enough for the whole world to not have to shame them. It takes a lot of bravery and courage to say, as a mom, I don't have all this figured out. Motherhood's really hard and I need help. I don't think I can do this alone. Those were some of the bravest words I hear from moms, from women, and from myself because we desperately so want to feel connected included, valued, seen, and loved. And when a lot of us become mothers, that maternal mental health of postpartum depression and baby blues kick in and we don't even realize it because we're so sleep deprived and we're so exhausted that when friends will come over, they hold the baby, but who holds the mom? They'll bring over a bottle of wine instead of saying, hey, here's some coffee. Go take a shower. I have your baby for an hour. Those are some of the things that I personally would have loved to hear instead of what I received where I had eight bottles of wine gifted to me at the hospital the day my daughter was born. And I was told motherhood is really hard. Drinking helps. And Hindsight is 2020. And if I were to go back and just revisit that conversation, it would obviously be so different. But my life was not consumed by alcohol at that time. And so all I did was put it in my to go bag and I left on my merry way. And those bottles just sat there for over, over six months, probably a half a year before I saw that survival bottle of wine in a different light than I ever had before. And so again, I think it's a lot of shaming in regards to not giving it the proper time to say, maybe there's a reason why this person isn't drinking other than the possibility of being A, an alcoholic or B, they're pregnant. And if we just take a step back and get curious and have a little bit of respect and gain some insight into somebody else's life and the way that they're living and how heavy their particular season in their world might be, we might be able to gain some more clarity around why they're saying no and respecting that decision. Because it doesn't mean that the person can't drink. It's just more for them, right? That's how I felt when I was drinking. Oh, you don't want to drink? Okay, well, more for me. You know, not questioning them on why they're making the choice that they're making and just respecting it for what it is. If it's more curiosity than it is about me needing to know, I don't need to ask the question. I can just respect the response. 
Yeah, it was hard because a lot of people do feel ostracized. And one thing that we know is that alcohol can be a big connection point, whether that's with neighborhoods or friend groups. It is a huge part of the connection and the enjoyment of the group. So when one person is trying to break away from it, whatever reason she has for that, it almost feels like they need to make a new set of friends. You know, if alcohol is really a focus for that group, it's really hard to be the one sober person in the group. So is that something that you have found to be true? Or do you have any advice for people in a situation where they are in groups that really gather around alcohol and they want to break free from it? Right. It is really a tricky thing to navigate because we live in such a busy culture. One thing that I did that I highly recommend that that was really helpful for me was to reevaluate the set of friends that I have because we know we know that birds of a feather flock together. And so if I am drinking, I'm going to hang around people who are probably drinking or at an establishment where drinking is prominent. And so if I want to make a change in my life, I want to do it and recognize where this is going wrong or where I need to pull back from. And so if when I reevaluated my relationship, I noticed with a lot of my friendships, the only thing that was keeping us connected was this glue. The substance was alcohol. I could tell you what they loved to drink and what their favorite restaurants were, but nothing that added value that was truly a connection of friendship. It was very superficial. When my kids were young, you don't, you don't have a lot of time to say or an opportunity to, to select your friends. You kind of get into these mommy groups or whoever your kiddos seem to play with at the park. You just have this connection with the other mothers. And so I think it's really important, even when it comes to your family dynamics, your friendships, your coworkers, your neighbors, your mom friends, where, where are you really invested? And if those people are truly value and respect you as an individual, they can respect the fact that you're either taking a break, reevaluating your relationship with alcohol or any substance, or that you're choosing to cut that substance out of your life. All of our friends should be our cheerleaders. They should be on our sober train supporting us regardless of the lifestyle choice that they make. And good solid family and friends will support you. Now, there are going to be people that will say, ooh, you're not fun, or I don't think, you know, I'm going to invite you to these things. And you're going to get alienated. You're going to feel resentful. You're going to feel abandoned. But you're going to know who's there at the end of the day to support you when you're going through a really difficult time, or you're just experimenting with living a healthier, more present lifestyle. And so, yeah, you will possibly lose, but you will gain those authentic, stable, safe, and honest relationships with people, especially the more we get honest and we show up for ourselves, people are going to support you. And reevaluating your friendships. It can be hard if you only have a small group of friends, but this is also a good reminder to reevaluate what you're saying to those friends as well. Like, are you somebody who pushes alcohol once in a while or are you the person saying this? Because that can be a really good just a reminder to yourself that somebody else might be in a position where they're okay being, you know, having just the one glass of wine or being able to hang out socially and not drink. I know with my friends, even over the holidays, when I hang out with them, they're like, okay, Abby's going to be the one that has the same glass of wine for the entire evening. And they're cool with that. Like it's not, they might be taking shots. They might be drinking heavily, but they know that I'm going to be coming to the party. I will be the one driving home. And that's just like how our setup is. But we do hope to leave our audience with a lot of great messages today. And one right off the bat would be to let adults make their own decisions. We don't need to be coaxing or badgering our friends into drinking. And hopefully we can start to normalize that some people, for whatever reason, they're going to say no. And I I know that in your TED Talks, Michelle, you talked about different reasons that people choose not to drink. So could you dive into some of those? Absolutely. Like you just mentioned, it's 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 an adult important decision to make. I am the designated driver. I want to be clear-headed tomorrow. I want to be able to be present for my kids in the morning. I want to set a good example. It's really expensive. 
medication interactions. A lot of people don't take it because of the medications that they're on or they're allergic to something. They possibly could be taking an anti-craving medication that is going to negatively impact them if they do consume alcohol. Maybe they're trying to get pregnant. Maybe they are pregnant. We kind of know the golden rule about don't say anything until about three months in, right? So we have to honor and respect that. Some people have natural consequences that have resulted into law enforcement or involvement with the criminal justice system. And so they're like, wow, I got a DUI. You know, I don't want to put my my family in this situation anymore. It was irresponsible and it was dangerous. And so maybe it's a religious reason. Maybe they're going through chemo. Maybe they're doing keto. They're on a weight loss journey. They just want to see what their life feels like when they eliminate this toxic substance from their body that reacts negatively every time they ingest it. The list goes on and on and on. And so those are just some of the reasons that come to the top of my head of why it's not just about you can do it or you can't and you are labeled as an alcoholic. And the more that people are open and honest with it not becoming problematic in their life and just saying, I don't like the way it makes me feel should be absolutely enough. Exactly. You just stated so many examples of reasons that people might not drink. So as you guys can see, there are a lot of them. So let people say and hold their nose. I want to get into your story more, Michelle, because as you've said, you never really expected alcohol to be a problem for you, but it can become a problem for anyone. And your rock bottom was when you ended up in the hospital for alcohol poisoning. There were some instances before that that your partner would talk to you about your drinking, but this was the moment that really changed your life. So my question is, could you feel it becoming more of a problem? Like, did you feel in control of your drinking when you hit your rock bottom? Absolutely not. I personally was not in control of my drinking towards the end before I took my last drink. That's not everybody's story. And I hope that it doesn't ever have to be that, but it took that for me. And I think that the shame that I still work through around, Michelle, you are a substance abuse counselor. You are a professional. I knew better. And yet I was convinced that alcohol needed to be a part of my life. I honestly felt like it was like social suicide in the sense of who would I be without this? Would I ever have fun? Would I have to label myself? All of that was so consuming that I focused all of my energy on trying to regulate and moderate and put rules around my drinking consumption in order to keep it a part of my world. And I think that the reason I did that was because it did become my whole world. And Even though it was just, you know, here and there, a glass of wine with a friend or while I was cooking or on date night or drinks after with my coworkers, bit by bit by bit, it became to fill places in my daily activity and my routine, which created these habits. And so over time, my cravings for it would kick in. My tolerance would get higher. I would have more withdrawal symptoms for having, you know, a Friday night, you know, party or hanging out with people because I was kid free and it was a date night. I didn't feel good the next morning. And so I felt, oh, well, maybe a mimosa might, you know, kick the headache and I might feel a little better. And so towards the end, about two years before I finally decided to go alcohol free, I knew that it was not serving me and that it was not adding value to my life. I was stubborn. I was ignorant. And I was more worried about being abandoned and made fun of and rejected and left out because I was going to try to show up as a person who didn't drink. And the fear of saying it out loud is one thing, but the bigger fear for me was what if I fail? What if I relapse? If I go out on a limb and I put up boundaries and say, please respect my choice. It's not becoming healthy. And I just don't like the way I show up in my life and the way that I parent 
and the way I show up as a wife. And then the next weekend, I forget all the rules and I say, hey, ladies, let's go. It's very confusing for people. And so that was something I really struggled with because I wanted to, but I wanted to drink at the same time. And I learned that I couldn't do both. And the longer I stayed on this hamster wheel of recognizing that it was problematic, the longer my relationship with alcohol became more dependent, more toxic, and it was so much harder to break free. And so when I ended up in the hospital, you know, I, I, people who cared for me were my coworkers of the hospital that I had worked in before. And when you wake up from a 50% blood alcohol level with your team around you is the most humiliating thing that you will ever experience. I ever experienced in my life. And all of the times and the opportunities that I could have had an intervention and tell my doctor, I avoided. I wasn't honest on the questionnaires. I wasn't honest about asking for help. I didn't want my chart to be flagged. At the end of the day, that's what it led to was that my worlds collided. My professional put together corporate powerhouse mom, along with my secret life of really struggling with alcohol use disorder collided that night. And that was the moment I would love to tell all of you that I surrendered and I never drank again. And unfortunately, that that wasn't my truth. I went to inpatient treatment and left. I relapsed 30 days later. And it took about six more months until I pretty much what I did was I, I gave a handshake to the universe. And I told myself that I know what it's like to be an adult orphan. Both of my parents are gone. I am doing the same thing to my children. And if my life is so difficult and I am so stressed out, I have to look for other ways to change what is going on in my world because I've worked really hard to create the life that I'm living, which is amazing. And all I wanted to do was escape my reality at the same time. And so I had to learn what was negatively impacting my life and do that really hard work around the bereavement of losing my parents, doing the work around postpartum depression and normalizing that, doing the work around having my husband abandon me for war right when I had children. You know, it was, there was so much going on in my life that that Alcohol was a tool that really helped me cope with a really heavy season of life. And alcohol was always there. It was there to celebrate, to make me feel better, to help me with my anxiety. Because by the end of the night, as moms, we know motherhood is all about service and sacrifice. And it's exhausting. Motherhood is really that hard and we don't talk about it. And so we look for ways to reward ourselves. And when I would take a glass of wine at night, when the kiddos would go to bed, that was an opportunity missed for me to take a bath, to call my friend, to hop on the treadmill, to Netflix, binge Netflix for an hour or two. I didn't do any of those things that used to make me feel good because alcohol was replacing that. It was accessible. It was convenient. It was relatively inexpensive and I didn't have to put much effort into it. And so that's a little bit about my backstory and how it started to become problematic and how I I learned to kind of pick up those breadcrumbs and reverse engineer some of my behavior and how I can change some of those coping tools into more healthier strategies than just drinking Because obviously we all know if we're utilizing a substance because of a feeling that's not permanent, and if we can learn to sit through the discomfort of knowing that we might not be able to control something that's happening, but what we can control is how we choose to deal with it. And we don't have to make the situation worse. And we can celebrate and have fun with other things that we'll actually remember tomorrow and not regret. So learning to feel my feelings, the good and the bad without suppressing or glorifying those feelings into this euphoric place that's not real is where my true journey of healing began. 
Okay, everyone, we have to tell you guys about an amazing new service that we found, and it's called FrameBridge. So FrameBridge makes it easier and more affordable than ever to frame your favorite things without ever leaving the house. So you can do things like add a gallery wall to your home office, or you can send the perfect gift. And from art prints to diplomas to the photos that are sitting on your phone, you can FrameBridge just about anything. So how does it work? All you do is go to framebridge.com and you upload a photo, or they'll send you packaging to safely mail your physical pieces into their office, which could be things like dog tags or a favorite jersey, really anything that has memories to you and something that is very special. You can then preview your item online in dozens of frame styles, gallery wall layouts. You can choose your favorites, or you can also get some free recommendations from their talented designers. So easy to use, and they are so, so good at what they do. The experts at FrameBridge will also custom frame your item and they deliver your finished piece directly to your door. It's ready to hang as soon as it gets to you. And instead of the hundreds of dollars that you'll pay with framing or trying to figure out the perfect frame at a store, their prices start at just $39 and all shipping is completely free. Plus, the Herself listeners get an extra 15% off their first order at FrameBridge.com when they use the code HERSELF. We're personally using it for some of the photos that we captured at a family photo shoot that we took this fall. Very special memories and FrameBridge has made it so easy. So get started today, frame your photos, or you can send the perfect gift. And again, go to framebridge.com and use promo code HERSELF for that 15% off. Again, framebridge, F-R-A-M-E-B-R-I-D-G-E.com and use code HERSELF. Michelle, I want to start with saying thank you for being so honest in that answer and sharing that story with such vulnerability. I think for those who are listening, we can all see ourselves in part of that answer. And some of the things that I pulled from it was, you know, the ability to cope and using alcohol as that coping mechanism that's always there. And also that it's not something that just happens overnight. It's not like you wake up one day and you realize you have a problem. It's, months, sometimes years of the issues becoming bigger issues, the challenges becoming bigger challenges that all of a sudden you're in the hospital for alcohol poisoning. And I can just, I can feel that the conflicting arguments inside your mind of, oh, you know, I want to make friends. I want to keep these friends. I want to go to this holiday party. I want to be part of this group. And then also, but I want to feel better. I want to wake up and be able to be with my kids. I don't want to be hung over the next day. So that just that conflicting, both sides of it going on in our minds, I know that that is something that's part of many people's story. And then lastly, even as an, a substance abuse counselor, like any, this can happen to anybody. This can happen to anybody. It, you had the information, you had the research, you saw the experiences, and it still was part of your story. So... I just know that that answer really reached out to a lot of individuals who are struggling right now, and that could just be the nudge that they needed to get the help that they need. And for you, Michelle, sobriety is the right choice. And I think a lot of people don't understand the why behind why does someone need to be completely sober? So can you explain why it's important to you and then possibly for others as well? Yeah, you know, I think for some people, it's just, it has to be a non-negotiable that abstinence is the way that it has to be for them. I know for me with food, it's like, don't give me a fun size snicker. I want the king size. I want the whole candy bar. And it's just, you know, for me, when I, you know, was a couple of years into it being more enjoyable than I probably should have had wine or alcohol be is my decision to go in and say, I'm just going to have one because I'm going to drive. Well, it starts to lower our inhibition and increase, you know, this euphoric feeling. And so it's this pleasure and reward balance of, well, now I've already broken my diet or I've already broken my, you know, five day sobriety journey. And so I might as well just go out with a bang. I'll start again next week or next month or next year. And so for some people, it has to be that rigid. It's like a cheat diet. Like there's don't cheat if you, you know, aren't going to put your whole heart into and commit to doing something that you know is serving you. And so go all in because I can talk myself out of, oh, I'll start again later. I'll start again. Eh, one won't hurt, but maybe two would be my limit. And so, you know, addiction is very sneaky in the sense of no one's going to know. And that's what starts to get really dangerous is when people start to say something to us. And a lot of times our response will be, okay, well, if you don't want me to do this and I'm not hurting anybody, I'm just trying to function in this world that is like 
going at the speed of lightning and I can't keep up as a mom doing all of the things, I'm just going to hide my behavior. And that's where it gets really dangerous because our secrets keep us sick and we isolate. We don't feel like we can tell anybody without being shamed or policed or micromanaged because we don't want that accountability quite yet because our natural consequences are maybe just heartburn and a restless night's sleep. We're not getting DUIs or having our kids taken away or our husbands leaving us. And so again, it comes back to, you know, you best. If you don't like the way you feel or that you feel like you are depending on the substance a little bit more, take a break, a proper break. I call it test drive sobriety. Take it for a spin and see how you feel. And if you feel resistance, if you find yourself breaking your own rules, you have information that you've just collected. You are collecting data and knowledge that is telling you that it's really hard to keep this promise to yourself. Maybe I have a deeper connection with alcohol than I thought. I think it might be time to explore that. Yeah, it's just the exploring of it. So I like what you said there with the test driving sobriety. I know many of our listeners, I've done this as well with that I'll start tomorrow or I'll start next month type of mindset. And then you get there and you don't do it, but you do have to be ready to make the change. So having that test drive and just seeing, was this a bigger issue than I thought while you're on that test drive? That's a really, really good recommendation. And I know, Michelle, that a lot of our listeners, they're looking for that definition of what is that line? So when is too much? How often is too much? And I know that you've said in the past that one in eight Americans meet the criteria for alcohol abuse disorder. So could you talk about what that criteria is? And then also how people can tell if they're heading down a road of it actually becoming a problem? Yes. Great questions. You know, I think what it really comes down to is, again, we know ourselves best and we are the only person that can make that decision if it is problematic or not serving us, if it's costing us more than it's giving us. And so my advice, which I did this, and I think every person in the world that has ever considered their relationship with alcohol has done this as well. And it is don't Google it. Don't Google, am I an alcoholic? Because the information is so contradictory and confusing. I literally left the internet feeling more confused than I did when I first sat down there. So I do have a link in my bio on Instagram that um, is a real legit bio that's going to give you some information on the categories for alcohol use disorder. But, you know, again, it is you make that decision for yourself and Nobody else can do that. Some of the medical criteria that comes out of the DSM-5 in regards to substance abuse disorder, because it is categorized in mild, moderate, and medium, or I'm sorry, mild, uh, moderate, and severe. And so some of the questions that it'll ask you is just, you know, are you drinking more than you um, intended to? How do you feel when you are done drinking? Do you crave larger amounts? Has your tolerance increased? Questions that are more tailored to that. So it's more about the how often are you doing it, the amounts, and how do you feel after it? But is it really what it comes down to is, you know, and do I feel good? You know, am I setting a good example for my children? How is this taking over my life? Am I using this to cope? Am I showing up to be the best version of myself? Is this holding me back from anything? Am I experiencing this world and every person in it? I don't know. You know, only we can ask ourselves those questions. And so leaning in and test driving and getting curious, because if we just say, I want to see what it's like to take a day off and it feels weird and it doesn't feel good. You won't beat yourself up as much when you're just sober curious as you are when you are, you know, bound by the courts or you are labeled with an alcohol use disorder. The severe of shaming yourself is going to be higher when there's consequences and there is ultimatums and possibly our freedom is on the line. It makes things a lot more difficult. So it's really exciting that we have this open dialogue and this this place where we can just say, like, if I don't like that, 
if it's not adding value to my life, I think I'm good. I think I'm good before I have to wait for something bad to happen because usually it's not if, it's when that we start to become dependent and we know we need to change. It's harder to change than not thinking we have a problem, but being able to still walk away. Mm, I love that idea of finding what your boundary is. So for me, I never want to be acting out of alignment with my values. So that would be a red flag if I did anything that I didn't feel was like who I am. And then also, I never ever want it to impact my next day. So I cannot, I cannot be hungover parenting and that would not feel like a good example for my children. So those are my lines, but you guys will obviously have to figure out what that looks like for you. So Michelle, The three of us are moms and we all know how difficult it is to be a mom, to have a job, to try to stay happy in our partnerships, to keep up with our house, et cetera, et cetera. Like there is so much going on for women these days. I had some really great conversations with women in my direct messages and they said, you know, I think that this really comes down to the expectations and the policies all around us that don't help with our stress, which we all understand. This is one way that women are coping. But since we have you here, I would really love to hear the message that you have for a woman that is really depending on those glasses of wine to help her cope with her daily life. A quick break from one of our favorite partners, Gooder. Did you guys know that Gooder Sunglasses has a free 30-day return policy? They also have a one-year warranty while being a carbon-neutral company. As you guys know, Abby and I love our Gooder shades. Some of my favorites are Bosley's Basset Hound Dreams. And then I live in my blue blockers, which are the modern-day snake oil. Absolutely love them. You guys should try them out. You can go to gooder.com, that's G-O-O-D-R.com, and use Herself15 for 15% off your first order. Again, that's gooder, G-O-O-D-R.com, and use code Herself15 for 15% off your first order. Yes, motherhood is really hard. And I think the more we normalize that, that it's, if we take action, messy action, and we stop looking for this expectation that doesn't exist. We're striving. A lot of us moms, including myself, was I didn't reevaluate the expectations I had for myself as a full-time working mom of two. I was still operating from the capacity of being, you know, in my in my early 30s, holding down a couple jobs, traveling, spending time with friends. And I never readjusted of what that would look like with additional responsibilities and human beings and that my house wasn't going to look immaculate all the time. And I had to learn to say I need help and expect for that help to be mediocre. If I needed help from my husband unloading the dishwasher, I knew it wasn't going to be done the way that I wanted to. But do I need the help, Michelle? And the, and the dishes are going to get done, or am I going to be more upset and complain about it not being right? And so I really had to focus on that there is, I don't believe in balance. I don't think, I think that we have a lot of different seasons and transitions in our life and we're constantly evolving. And, you know, there's a place for friendships and education and then building a family and building a career. And we can't be everywhere and do mediocre work. We need to be present when we're doing something such as raising small children or or writing a book or building a community of women for a business, whatever that looks like. And so for us moms, what we need to know is that we can't do it all and have a smile on our face like society expects from us. We cannot live up to that standard. Our bandwidth is not that is not we can't stretch that far. And we don't have a choice usually in, do we stay home? Do we work? We have to do it all. And so at what point are we going to say no to things? Unfortunately, I can't attend, but I'd love to next time. 
don't volunteer for the PTA if it's just because you feel guilty and you don't want to be around those people. I had to learn to volunteer in a different capacity, like art discovery and teaching special education to some of the kiddos. I had to learn how I was going to volunteer and I was going to show up in their my kids' academic setting and in their life, but it needed to fit according to my values and what made me excited. And I learned that my house doesn't have to be clean. It needs to be lived in and it needs to have memories in it. I simplified my life. I didn't let my kids eventually do three sports each because I... I'm a walking ATM, I'm a taxi driver, and I'm a chef. And I can't be in all those places. Something had to give. And it was my mental health. And it was me running to a mind-altering chemical, something external that was validating and trying to heal me for an internal problem that would never provide the appropriate solution. And so I think asking for help and delegating and just Lowering your expectations of what you have for your friends, for your partner, for your own children, for your employers, and know that that's just by having those expectations, you're always going to fall short. So you're always going to be a failure and it's built up future resentment. If I expect something and I don't get it in return, I'm going to be disappointed. And so for right now in this really heavy season of having really tiny humans I'm responsible for, and my body has just gone through this enormous transition, I need to be kind with myself and know that it's okay right now to be all in motherhood and to keep my blinders on and know that I might not be feeding my children baby organic food or breastfeeding, but I'm sober, I'm present, I'm showing them love. And they don't want a perfect mom. I am the perfect mom for them. And by me living my truth and doing the best that I can with what I have to work with, I'm happy. I'm happy because I'm showing up and I'm doing the work. And I I hope that all of the ladies listening to that know that if you can take something off your plate and you can delegate and you can ask for help, if I were to do it all over again, I would. I would so simplify by getting a house cleaner instead of using the alcohol money on booze. I would do marriage counseling. I would order a to-go service for meals and have a little bit of help come in instead of expecting salmon filet dinners like I used to when my husband and I were dating. It's okay to have chicken nuggets and macaroni and cheese for the second night in a row. If that is going to keep all of us sane and sober, it's okay. It's okay. Stop being so hard on yourself. Yes. And it is okay. And do the best that you can on that day, like in that season, on that day, just show up as your best. And you ask yourself some good questions. Like, where can you simplify your life? Where can you lower your expectations? Like, where can you say no more often? And that will really help you start to live a life that you don't always have to escape from. And throughout this conversation, know that we're not trying to judge. Like, there's, we're being very, very clear here. We are not judging. We really want to come beside you and give you the information that you might need today. Or if it's not today, you might need it someday. And one thing that we wanted to make sure of is that we gave women really a good idea of where to turn to for help. And I know that a lot of people, they'll turn to AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, but you mentioned that there are also different types of treatment modalities that could help on this path. So Michelle, can you go into some of those? Yes, absolutely. There are so many resources out there. It's just, you know, we don't know where to look and we're feeling overwhelmed. And so, you know, the best place, if somebody's just kind of sober curious or just, you know, has a loved one um, that might be dependent on something, some substance or an addiction or particularly alcohol, I think the best thing to do is to reach out to get your doctor, starting with your doctor, asking for resources, but being honest and just saying, you know, I'm trying to lose weight. I'd like my, my labs tested, my thyroid, you know. I seem to be drinking a little bit more than I than I had been. You know, are there any resources? What they'll normally do is refer you to behavioral health, which is going to give you an assessment for a mental health um, assessment, which is going to say, hmm, if you're drinking a little bit, did you just have a recent transition in your life? Are you going through a divorce? You know, they'll 
things will come up for you that they'll ask, you know, maybe it's bereavement, maybe it's trauma that's unresolved. Maybe it's, you know, something with struggling with a special needs child. There's so many things going on in our lives that simply what alcohol is, is a coping tool. It's something that we reach for because something else is really hard in our lives. And sometimes it's so deep down there that we don't even realize that we're doing it. And so going to your doctor, doing therapy, maybe that's individual, possibly family, maybe marriage, maybe it's chemical dependency, a blend of both, which is what they call co-occurring disorders. And DDA is dual diagnosis anonymous. I know that the majority of the world knows about Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous, but there's also DDA, which is talking about addiction and mental health together. If you are not a person who wants to go in and and divulge your pain points and your trauma to a bunch of strangers, I get it. And you don't have to. What there is too is there is smart recovery, which is more cognitive behavioral therapy um, focused with techniques and skills I love the curriculum. You can search for that stuff online. There's Celebrate Recovery, Refugee from Recovery. If you're really diving into some of the substance abuse stuff, in regards to the individual counseling that you can do around your own relationship and rebuilding and identifying the timeline of when this started to become problematic, you can do that in outpatient, intensive outpatient. Some people need to end up going to inpatient treatment like I eventually did. And so if we can nip some of that in the butt and just get sober curious and lean in, the internet and all of social media has become such an incredible place to have some of these conversations. If we simply scroll, let's say, Instagram and look at the hashtag sober life, sober living, non-drinker, sober moms, you would be amazed by the community, the moms, even if you're not ready to build just a a blocked or a temporary profile and document your journey, or just look at other people to see if you Google sober, sober celebrities, you guys will be amazed at the people who are open and active in sobriety and say, wow, they're doing it. I think I might be able to do this too. And some of their reasons are simply Like Jennifer Lopez, she wants beautiful skin that glows and she knows that alcohol doesn't serve her. And so she wants no part of it. You have Jessica Simpson, who struggled with substance abuse um, after her children during maternal mental health and got to a pretty dark place. And so another resource that's really interesting and very fantastic is um, Annie Grace. She does the alcohol experiment and it's all about and it's free. And she has an amazing book and podcast, and it's all about getting curious. So we want this to be your journey. You decide if you want to take a break from drinking or not. So it's a lot about establishing boundaries, identifying patterns, behaviors, and habits, and collecting data. And so it comes from an evidence-based perspective of a lot of science and psychology. Why am I doing this? How do I feel after? And really diving into the statistics to decide if this is my own issue and my idea to look at it. Um, Private Facebook groups are amazing, ladies. There is so many recovery groups that you can be a fly on the wall and just hear so many people's different perspectives from just simply no problem, but afraid because they have the generational predisposition to alcoholism, all the way to people that have just gotten out of inpatient treatment. and. It's really cool because there's so many different ways to just like normalize and simplify your relationship with alcohol. Even if you're just wanting to cut back and moderate, there's groups for that on the internet and Facebook. The possibilities are endless. So I think the biggest thing and the takeaway is to not be afraid of exploring that. Don't be afraid of labeling yourself as an alcoholic because you're you don't have to and you're probably not but let's not get you to a place where you become so dependent that it's hard like it ended up being for me the idea of forever is a really long time and it's really scary so don't think of forever this doesn't have to be daunting it's not a punishment and for those who you know just have this curiosity just take that break and 
come see me, visit me on my social media platforms and know that, you know, I know that each and every one of us that are that are here today and those of you who are listening, you do know somebody who is impacted and affected by this. And the best way that we can show up for them and ourselves is to be honest and to feel supported. Ask what you can do to help people. Ask what they need and honor their decisions and, and be prepared for what they have to say. Michelle, that was an incredible answer filled with so many resources. Your handle is recovery is the new black for people that want to find you. Um, it sounds like there's a whole nother world. And what we would say is start to open up, maybe start to follow some accounts just so you balance it out. Because I think most of us are following people that present wine as the answer. And it could just be good to get some other people into your ears. Um, and like Michelle was mentioning, we really couldn't finish this episode without recognizing that we all have different stories, backgrounds, experience when it comes to alcohol and substance abuse. Unfortunately, this hits very, very close to home for me. Um, I know my therapist recommended Al-Anon for me, and that's a group for if you're concerned about a friend or family member. It's not the problem that you have, but you have someone because as we know, when the people around it, us have a problem with drinking, it definitely impacts us. So I'm so glad that Michelle shared all of those resources and that she brought light to this topic today on the podcast. It was very important for us to have you on, Michelle. So if you guys enjoyed this episode, please share it to your Instagram story, tagging Michelle at recovery is the new black and us at herself podcast to help spread this very important message. And thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you for having me. 